Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. Thank you, George. Thank you, guys. It's great to be with you in the house of the Lord. And um, maybe you're visiting and, and Ramp Church is new to you. And I just want to say it's great to be a body of believers in a city that has many incredible bodies of Christ, all represent, I mean, and there's one body, but expressions of that body. And we're just one church that's a part of a big global thing God is doing on the earth. Um, the Ramps mission is to awaken, equip, send. We have a posture that pursues God and goes after his presence and his promises. We have a posture that's leaning towards the next generation to raise them up in what God wants to do and igniting, awakening in other places of the world, from high schools to other nations that people have never been to. We just want to see increased manifestations of Jesus being revealed on the globe. Amen? So I'm praying for you guys that you would just find your footing this year in the place and the assignments that God has for you. When I was 11 years old, I went um, to church camp. How many of y'all been to church camp as a kid? Just, you know, great church camp and play games during the day, eat nasty food, go to church services at night, then go to the, the dorm room and talk and then do it all over for a week. And it was just, you know, a normal service and the presence of God just compelled people to come to the altar. I went to the altar when I was 11. I was already saved, already filled with the Holy Spirit. But that night at the altar, something just got a hold of me. It was the Spirit of God. And for like, I don't even know how long, the Spirit of God was moving on the altar. People were just really um, sensing such an awareness that God is real and that he wanted their entire life. And the Holy Spirit just so gripped me. And for I don't even know how long, I just kept saying yes. I was shouting yes over and over and over. I was going, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, over and over for a really long period of time. So long that they actually had to tell me to leave the building finally at the, like a very late hour. And um, I was chatting with my, what do they call the camp counselor the next day at lunch. And I was telling her as this, you know, I was 11 years old. And I was like, last night, I was saying yes over and over. I know I was talking to God, but I don't know what I was saying yes to. <laughs> I was a little bit terrified. I was like, something happened, but I didn't fully understand what had happened. And she said to me, she's like, well, sometimes we don't fully understand what's happening in the moment because we're spirit, soul, and body. So we're more than just our mind, and we're more than just our emotions. We're more than just our past experience. We've also got eternity in us, and God is sometimes beyond our head knowledge and into our heart. She said, but I would guess you were giving God, I would guess that you were saying yes to whatever God calls you to do in life. And I've often been reminded of that moment in, in parts of my life where maybe I find myself in different um, assignments where God, I feel like as a, as a son or daughter, we are all called of God. We're representatives. We're sons and daughters. We're part of a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Every son and daughter is called by God. But we have different assignments, right? Like a people um, who receive our instruction from the Lord, we get assignments in our life. 
And in assignments that have been hard or challenging where my head starts to argue with my heart and I'm reminded of that moment as an 11-year-old girl that I just said yes to God and the Spirit of God in me said yes to Him. So this morning, as I've been praying for you all this year, one of the things I've really been praying about is that you would discern God's call and know your assignments. So I want to talk to you this morning about discerning God's call knowing your assignments. And I want to start in Ephesians 4, this simple verse that I love so much. Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul writing to believers, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Those who are called by God know that they are not their own. If you are in this room and you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, then the Holy Spirit puts this seed of revelation that grows as you mature in him. And it's the revelation of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. You were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. It's this sobering fear of God kind of revelation. It's not up to you now to make the calls. You're not the boss of your life, as I tell them in kids' church. It's sobering, and there's this holy fear about this revelation that you don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And it's also this glorious good news because it's also filled with this revelation of when we make the calls for our own life, we end up on these dead-end streets. It's what Paul says, outside of this call from God, we chase these deceitful desires and we end up empty. We end up with what Paul says is the empty life passed down from our ancestors. So this call to belong to God is both like this holy kind of terrifying thing in a good way, but it's also this joy-filled relief. Somebody else is in charge that's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. The person who's directing my life knows the end from the beginning. The person who is helping me decide on where to live and where to go and what to study. The person who's guiding those decisions in my life is the source of infinite wisdom. And he's such a good God that is for me, not against me. It's freeing and it's some of the best news that will ever hit your bones is this, is this glorious news that you don't belong to yourself and you're not your own boss. There's somebody better in charge. Somebody with more qualification and more competency and with perfect love towards you. And I think about our lives and how, you know, there's soon in the blink of an eye, we're gonna stand before the Lord and we're gonna give him an account for what we did with what he gave us. 
And Paul says this is really sobering. Even Paul, as, as everything that you know, Paul had experienced of the grace, he was actually called the apostle of grace, everything that he had experienced about the mercy and the grace of God, he still said that he had this fearful responsibility that he was going to stand before the living Jesus and give an account for what he did with what God entrusted him. So it's this, it's what Paul summarizes in this phrase, sober-mindedness, to realize that this God of grace and God of love is going to call us to account for the gifts that he's given us. And that's, again, good news because God knows our starting point in life. He understands you more than anybody on this planet, even more than you understand yourself. So he is the most capable and the righteous judge to call anybody to account. As I've been praying for us, I've been praying for you, Ramp Church. I'm just thinking about these things, about how short our time is, how easily distracted we are as human beings, how easily deceived we can be, but how much power is in us. How much hope, this hope of calling that we have, this hope that there's something eternal in us and there's this presence in this fragile clay pot and this life that we have here on earth is meant to be this presence of God poured through our life to whatever sector of society you're called. It would be my hope this year that you can stand before God this year and know that you are doing what he's assigned of you. And that you didn't make any decision on what church you go to or where you live or who you date or who you marry or what opportunities you take. That you can look back over this year and know you didn't make any of those big life decisions without a process of discerning what God has to say and what God thinks and what the mind of Christ is thinking towards your life. You know how opinionated humans can be? I mean, just open Facebook right now and see how opinionated we all can be. Well, that's part. God is opinionated. God has opinions. God has thoughts. God is not passive and indifferent about your life's decisions. God is a God with a plan and nobody stands in his way. And you're a part of that plan. And some people, they, get, they fall in this ditch thinking, well, you know, we should be mature enough or we don't have to hear God on everything. You're right. You don't have to hear God on everything. You can hear God on everything. You can hear God on much as you want to hear God on. You know, why limit yourself? Like, why, what are we trying to prove here? We're trying to prove, like, we want to grow in the mind of Christ and discern what God wants, absolutely. But we don't want to fall in this ditch in this over-independent state of living, When we're in the kingdom of God, we're meant to be utterly dependent on God. We're meant to seek. That means like earnestly look. Not like passively waited to hit you in the face. Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek his will in all you do and he will direct your path. Seek him with all your heart and then you'll find him. Call to him and he will answer you. So all these promises, they're clearly indicating like God does actually want to be rather involved in your life. Where you go, where you live, what city you decide to reside in, what job you choose to take, who you choose to date, who you choose to marry, all these big decisions. God would love to be involved in that. Ask 
and you'll receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. This relationship that we live with him. I mean, I can't fathom, this is just like, take it out of the Christianity box and just think about like a married couple, a healthy marriage. I can't fathom making like a big decision without consulting my husband. I mean, doesn't that, like, that's a head scratcher. So think about this relationship where you've surrendered your whole life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Of course there's a dialogue there. Any healthy relationship has a dialogue about decisions. So I want to talk about discerning God's direction. Jeremiah 10, 23 in the NIV says, I love this verse just summarizing. Lord, Jeremiah says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. When God calls Moses in Exodus 3 and 4, he calls Moses to be this deliverer, to work on his behalf, to deliver Israel from captivity, from Pharaoh. And when God calls and gives like assignments, now this could be like when I'm talking this morning, it could be maybe you have like a big life change. Maybe you're in a seasonal change. You were, maybe you had kids in your house and now all the kids have gone out of the house. You're kind of in this transition of season or maybe you're a transition of job or maybe everything is kind of as normal, but you're just looking for that instruction that comes for the Lord. You know, Isaiah 50 says he awakens our ear to hear Not like once in a lifetime, but morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as one being instructed. So it's not like a once in a lifetime instruction and you're good to go. Again, it's this everyday living with God, living under his lordship. He wakens you to hear his instruction. So Moses gets this call from God. And this is, okay, I'm just going to kind of, if I hope it's okay, I'm just going to spill this morning, okay? I wish I had it a little more organized in my head, but let's be honest. I didn't know Joe was going to Asbury, and so here I am preaching this morning. Um, He left this morning. We decided on Friday, and so the Lord's going to help get whatever you need to you today. So I'm going to spill about the call of God. And, you know, Moses, I think what, what I've learned about the call of God, when God asks you to do something, there's always going to be some elements of surprise. You may have had like lots of prophetic words, but because God always likes to keep us in a state of humility, he's always got some surprises. I don't care how prophetic you are, how discerning you are, God will have some surprises because he really values humility. So there's going to be some surprising elements to the call of God. And there's going to be probably a bit of wrestling with the call of God. Where you are very confident you have an argument that is somehow going to take down the call of God. You've got reasons that you need to say to God as to why what he's asking you to do isn't a good idea. And in Exodus 3, I just went this morning, I was reading Exodus 3 and 4 where God calls, his, calls Moses. And you guys, I just love this story. Instead of reading the whole two chapters to you right now, I'm just going to read you some of the phrases, okay, that I underlined. 
3 verse 4, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. God calls him, verse 11, but Moses protested to God. God answers, verse 13, but Moses protested. God gives a very long spill, chapter 4, verse 1, but Moses protested again. God gives another spill, verse 10, but Moses pleaded. Now he's beyond protesting and he's pleading with God. God tells him to go. I will be with you as you speak. Verse 13, but Moses again pleaded with God. So you see that these, chap- these two chapters, I mean, all of us would agree Moses was undeniably called by God to do something. And in the midst of that, signs, wonders, miracles, his initial reaction is, I am not the guy for this job. And let's say, I mean, let's just admire his tenacity in that argument. He endured for a long time. And let's praise God for his mercy that he didn't get zapped. I mean, God actually engaged the conversation for that long. And some of you, this is my prayer for my life. I don't want to spend my whole life in chapters 3 and 4 of the call of God. My whole life protesting, pleading with God about everything he asked me to do. And quite honestly, most of the things that God has asked me to do, I'm about to disappoint some of you. I feel like most of the things God asked me to do, I I at least have like one toddler temper tantrum on the floor about it. (laughs) You know where where you have kids and you're like, you, you may have, okay, like I have three kids. And when they were little, I could say to all of them, go clean your room. One of them is just going to get up and go do it because they know, okay, as soon as I get this done, I can have a snack and I can have the iPad and whatever else I want. And they just clean the room. And then one of the kids is always going to just collapse to the ground and start crying and saying, I can't do this. And you're going to have to engage with that kid. And you're going to have to say things like, I wouldn't tell you to do something that you couldn't do. Okay, well, forget it. I told you, so you're going to do it, whether you think you can do it or not. And for on and on and on and back and back and back and forth, it's like, Lord, I don't want to be that way. But I know that I am that way sometimes about what you ask me to do. And I want, my prayer for us, Ramp Church, is that we are just so submitted and trusting of the Lord that we are easily led by him. What it says in Psalm 32, verse 7, where it says, I love this verse, Psalm 32, 8 and 9. The Lord says, I will make you wise and show you where to go. I will guide you and watch over you. So don't be like a horse or donkey that doesn't understand. They must be led with bits and reins or they will not come near you. I don't want, I don't want the Lord to have to bribe me with all these like I don't know, for lack of a better word, all these promises. I just want to be so in love with him and so trusting that he can whisper just a need, and I'll be like, here I am, send me. I'll go, God. I don't have to be like, and I'm not, not downing, the, I'm not in any way trying to, um, to disqualify our need for reward and God's desire to give reward and his love for us and giving us prophetic promises. I'm not disregarding that at all. I'm just saying like, I don't want to have to have, you know, a whole truckload of those before I move an inch towards him in the direction that he's leading. 
I want to be so sensitive and so willing that I can just get up and start moving and he'll redirect as needed. So in discerning God and discerning his will, you can't be, don't be surprised by the surprising bits. There will be surprises to things that God asks you to do. And don't be surprised by the impossibility of what he asks you to do. God will always, and I've talked to you about this before, and I hope, again, I'm not trying to say this in a boastful way, but the life that I live is a life where I'm I'm believing God for impossible things on every front. It's not just like, oh, that one time 10 years ago, man, I was really living by faith and God really had to come through. It's like, wake up again. <sighs> okay, by faith, righteous live. By faith, by faith, we believe for the impossible. I'm not just talking about one front. I've got 50 fronts where I've got all these impossible things because the righteous live by faith. So it's by faith that we live. And it's not just by faith that we get the promise that says in Hebrews 11. It says that Abraham, when he arrived to the promised land, he lived there by faith. He lived there by faith. And what do I mean by living by faith? I'm not just talking about living with this, you know, submission to the lordship of Jesus. Living by faith is you have put all your confidence and your security in what God says and his character. You are confident of his goodness. And so your life makes these decisions that aren't always rational. But you make these decisions based on the word of God, not on one plus one equals two and A plus B leads to C. You make decisions by the character of God being God and his goodness. And you live out there in the realm of faith. You believe in possible things. For, and I'm not just talking about random. I'm, I'm talking about things God reveals to you in his word and breathes to you in your own spirit. So let me ask you this. If I didn't know you, but I just met you and I got like the quick, small talk version of your life, does anything about your life imply to me that you have faith in God? Does anything about your life, maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody has to go like up and go to, you know, the third world country and, and I'm saying, but what about your, what about your functional life points to this dependence on God's word? Our lives, they're meant to be in the world, but not of the world. We don't have to prove anything, but we should have fruit. There should be this fruit of this dependence on God. This life that we live is in line with the way all these other people kind of looked when they followed him. So don't be surprised when the call of God comes and it surprises you. And it kind of confronts some of your own opinions and ideas. And you wrestle that out with the Lord. And another thing about the call of God is you will never know as much as you actually want to know before obedience is required. He will give you what you need to know to obey in faith. But you will not know as much as you want to know before he commands you to go. <laughs> to step out in faith. And um, I'll have another story about that in a minute. But making decisions, I want to look at James 1, 5 through 8. Okay, so James 1, 5, 5 through 8 
And this is about discerning what God wants for your calling and your assignments. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I love that phrase. Come on, if you've got financial struggle and you need wisdom, instead of feeling ashamed that you even have to ask God, he doesn't rebuke you for asking for wisdom. If you've got relationship trouble and you need to ask God for wisdom, he's not listening to you and being like, you should know this by now. I'm not telling you again. Come on, he's not like me with my kids all the time. He's very patient with us. He wants you to ask. He does not reproach you in your asking for his wisdom. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. A summary of the world and the way the world works is found in 1 John 2. The world is driven by what is appealing to the eye, what is appealing to my current appetite or trend. It's the lust of the flesh. It's what do I want and how can I get it quickly? It's the lust of the eye. Does that look good? Does that look good to my reputation? Does that look good to my CV? Does that look good to my image? The lust of the flesh I need, I want, I have to have. And pride in one's accomplishments and possessions. So it's lust and it's pride. It's all wrapped up in perverted desire. The world is operating under that system. But those who are, the next verse in that passage in 1 John says, the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. And so when you have loyalty that's divided between the world, when your decision-making process is both trying to be worldly and spiritual, you become an internal storm. You're storming about on the inside because you're trying to be true to your image, but you're also trying to be good to Jesus. And you're trying to sell all you have and follow him, but you're also trying to store up so you have in the future. You can't be divided in your loyalty. You'll never be able to discern if you're divided. Where does your loyalty lie? And again, that's not a one-time decision. When you're going into a relationship and you're faced with the opportunity, the temptation to give in to sexual desire, to compromise, you have a loyalty in that situation. Is the loyalty to your own fleshly appetite? Or is your loyalty to the way God says sex works? Your loyalty is being tested through all these decisions, these day in and day out decisions. And by tested, I mean revealed. It's being proved, it's coming to light. So the first thing, I have this little acronym, okay, in discerning, LAF, L-A-F. Say it after me. I'm going to make you cringe. Ooh, I like to make you cringe. Just say it. Say laugh. laugh. L, loyalty. Where's your loyalty? Okay, because you cannot discern God's will if you are divided in your loyalty, Loyalty between the temporal and the eternal, the lust of the eye and what the spirit is yearning for. 
I love this in Galatians 5, where um, Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, the spirit gives us desires that are contrary to the desires the flesh gives. So you've got these flesh, these temporal desires in you, but you've got these spirit desires. Philippians 2, 13, God is working in you, giving you desire and power to do what pleases him. This is why things like silence and solitude are so important in God's presence. Because in silence and solitude, we can have the spirit desires rise up to the surface. He gives you desires. When God calls you, even though there's wrestling, it's not this life of misery that he calls you to. There's a desire that he's put in there somewhere in you to do the thing he's called you to do. So your loyalty to him. The next thing is ask. I know this is so obvious, but why does God ask us to ask? It's an act of humility. Again, like I touched on before, to ask God is an expression of your faith that God is greater than you are. To ask God for wisdom, to ask God for anything, it's the action that makes your faith alive that you believe God has something you don't. And you're in need. So you ask God. You ask knowing he wants you to ask. You ask knowing he's not a slot machine. He's not just going to pop out an answer for your convenience. He's going to make you wait because in the waiting, you're refined to actually want his answer. Sometimes he doesn't answer you right away because you're not willing to do what he's about to tell you. So he'll wait for as long as it takes to make you willing. He'll wait as long as it takes so that when you get the word, you'll respond rightly to the word. You ask him for his will. And then you not just ask God, but because we're a body that's joined together, you ask other people. I have never experienced a decision, a big God call, big decision in my life that I have not had to discern in the presence of my brothers and sisters in Christ. To discern God's will takes more than just you because you only prophesy and know in part. And because you're called to unity, just as you are called, just as much as you're called to productivity and fruitfulness. See, some of these things we get lopsided in our thinking, but God values unity and community just as much, if not more, than other things that you're asking them for. You know how kids have phases of development? And as a parent or as a teacher, you can't like teach every single thing in a kid's life in, a, in, one, fray, in one season. You space it out, right? Different emphasis. But one of the things that's foundational to our discerning is being able to discern the will of God with others. And this doesn't take like a special meeting that you have to have with a very special prophetic someone. It takes friends, spirit-filled friends. It takes friends that you can call up and say, hey, this is what I'm discerning. How does this sit with you? I'm thinking about dating this guy, or I really like this girl, or here's an opportunity. What do you feel? What do you discern? And if you have spirit-filled friends and brothers and sisters, you can discern God's will with them. You don't have to even join all these different prophetic things. You've, if you have friends, you've got people that God has already provided for you. 
Now, that's not downing anybody who's prophetic. I love, I've gotten some powerful words from prophetic people that have anchored me. But don't emphasize the wrong avenue or you will always feel like God is shortchanging you. He always gives who you need to walk in obedience. And we often undervalue what we get and want to trade it for something else because we like snazzy, sexy things instead of just the everyday, ordinary means of sanctification. So who has God put around you? And what do they sense about God's call for your life? If you're in marriage, if you're in a marriage relationship, a covenant, you know, I've only been married for 17 years. My parents have been married for like 50 years. I have... So I just put that disclaimer. This is not like, don't quote me on this, but just my little, my little humble experience. God has never called Joe or I to do something that the other has not been wholeheartedly willing to do. Because again, in marriage, it's this one flesh, this unity. And even though in marriage we may have different assignments or different expressions, the unity is such like, the foundation of everything flowing from there. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not demand its own way. So unity in in marriage, it's about coming to this place where you're both discerning and there's this agreement about the assignment of God. There's this happy harmony. It's counting the cost, but it's you both have green light and you both can support each other in that decision. It's not, this is what God told me to do, get on board, or, or so be it, you're just going to have to struggle with it. Oh, that would grieve the Holy Spirit. That's gross. Do you hear me? If the, if the call of God is on your life, then that call is better for your marriage than without it. That call is better for you and your kids. You're better with it. The call of God brings us into greater depths of fulfillment and unity and peace and joy. It doesn't cause, the fruit of that shouldn't be dissension and division. That doesn't make sense, does it? So so how do we reach those points of agreement? Again, you just have to pray. Get up on the altar until the flesh gets burned out and there's this place of holy unity in the call of God where you're supporting each other and what God's asked you to do. So you have your loyalties with God. You ask in humility. You ask God. You ask those around. And then you have this faith, right, where where James is saying, without faith, you're not going to get an answer. It's this faith, this true belief that God wants you to walk in his will. And he will reveal his will to those who are willing to do it. It's this faith that God rewards those who are earnestly seeking him. So calling requires this faith. It requires this eternal view, not an earthly view. What God asks us to do, when God asks us, when God speaks for anything that he's asking us to do, it's good for our right now, but it's good for our eternity. It may be painful right now, but it's painful, temporary pain for eternal gain. Hey, I said it, I said it. The call of God is more, transcends the circumstances of your retirement fund and the house and the kids. It's bigger than that. It cuts right through all that. It brings it beautifully into this place of fulfillment, but it transcends that. So it's got this eternal view. The call of God takes courage. 
It's based on the fact that, like Moses said, when Moses protests and protests and protests and pleads, what does God say? He says, Moses, I'm with you. Courage is required for God's call. And the courage doesn't come because you muster up some kind of ego. The courage comes because the I am is with you as you call back to him, as you obey him. There's this courage. And it's crazy. Like anything God's asked me to do has required courage. Everything God asks, whether it's like give that in that offering or I can remember when I was you know, in high school, and all my friends had left the youth group, and I was just so like, oh, can I please leave this place, too, because I don't have any friends here, and, and I remember the Lord just giving me a picture of my assignment that last year of high school, of me just praying, and just being a pillar of prayer in my youth group, and different assignments, like whatever, it takes courage to really trust that out of everything, this is what God says is best for me, this is the scenario that he, to fully embrace that, it takes this courageous faith. There's cost to the will of God. This is what Jesus talks about in discipleship. The more, this is more than I have, it takes more than I have right now, but it's bringing me into a fuller expression that I'm connected to the one who has, as Paul says, Glorious, unlimited resources. There's conviction in call. There's a sense of I can't shake it. I've got to do it. It may be the wrong step, but I've got to take this in faith. There's no other obvious inclination from the Lord. There's this conviction. But like I mentioned earlier, there's also desire. There's a seed of, gosh, could I? I would love to deliver the Israelites. I don't know how you're going to do it, but yeah, those are my people, and I see that injustice, and something has to be done, and this conviction that just explodes in this life of obedience. It's this desire, and it's this conviction. It takes courage. There's high cost, and then there's a supernatural door that's opened. You know, it's not just all these abstract things at the end of the day, it's God making a way. It's God calls you, and God does something that you couldn't do. And as simple as that, I mean, not to, um, to just bring it down to kind of where I live every day, it's God giving you an opportunity that you didn't have sometimes before you started asking them the question. Discernment is being able, spiritual discernment, it's being able to really tune in to what God brings to you in what season. It's you being able to recognize this season and this time, and this is what God has brought before me. This is the door I'm going to push and I'm going to walk through. When we had all these words to come, a very practical example, we had these words about the UK. We did the practical steps of courage. We met with Pastor Karen. We met with Mr. Rick. We said, this is what's burning in us. Do you want to start a ramp UK now? We're ready to go. Like, we'll work wherever you want us to work or not work. Just let us go. We've got to go. And this is the problem, though. We didn't have a visa. And y'all, it ain't easy to live in this country. And it ain't cheap either. <laughs> so there's these practical things. But then God gives an opportunity for us to get a visa. And we didn't, like, Google that. We didn't have to. I mean, we did Google that, but it didn't work. So God finally brought <laughs> an opportunity that only God could bring. 
a God opportunity met and intersected with our desire, met and intersected with our prophetic history, and then we walked through the door and it took courage. But God did something that only God could do. So you've got to be able to recognize what is God bringing toward me right now? What opportunity is knocking right now? Is that a God call? In closing, I just want to say um, this passage in Matthew 14. But first, let me recap some of those thoughts. <laughs> okay, the laugh bit. When you're discerning your loyalty, you ask in humility. You ask God, you ask others. You have faith that God will answer. And then calling, what does it require? It requires this eternal view, not just an earthly view. It requires courage. It requires cost. It has conviction. It has desire. And it has a God-open door. But this passage in Matthew 14, anybody have their Bible? Turn to Matthew 14. You know, some of these things are, it's big about assignments that some of you guys have in other nations. But it's also little things. It's like God's nudging you to meet a need. And calling an assignment is really summed up in this phrase that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5, where he says God's given us these gifts, and he's done all these things so that we can serve one another in love. And if calling an assignment ever feels just so epic, so hard to figure out, you feel overwhelmed by it, you feel like you're banging your head up against a brick wall trying to figure out, oh, what's God called me to? You just step back and say, how can I serve in love? What can I do to serve in love? And then asking other people what they think you can do to serve. Sometimes, I remember like when I was in my early 20s, it's like I got so stuck in this cycle of trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. It was weird. It was like I was on a hamster wheel. Did you ever feel like you've just been spinning, like just so trying so hard to figure out what God is? You're like a little hamster just spinning on this wheel, but you're not going anywhere. And then you get frustrated. And that's why we need community because community comes and it affirms. Community comes and says, hey, I had a dream about you, right? Because it was other people that then started. We, Joe and I were praying and fasting. But then it was the prophets around us that started having these words, these dreams, these visions about things that we were praying about but hadn't told that then kind of freed us from that hamster wheel and moved us forward in God. You know, just last week we were talking, Joe and I were chatting through some like kind of difficult things that we were trying to decide about. So we put it before the executive lead team and we had some, some um, you know, Micah and Delane and James and Becky and some people who were trying to discern with. So for 45 minutes, Joe and I are just kind of expounding on this problem we're trying to figure out. And then I'm like, well, I had this dream. So let me just tell you this dream. And so I tell them the dream and everybody just kind of looks at us and they're like, why did we just talk about that for 45 minutes? That is very clear in the dream what God wants to do. But sometimes when you're living your life, it's really hard to see. You have a dream and you think, oh, well, that can't be literal. That has to be like figurative. And I remember when Mike and Delano were trying to discern what God was saying to them about Manchester, they had a dream that says, that they'll move to, to Manchester. They're telling us and then over Zoom, I'm like, guys, why are we trying to, why, why do we think this isn't literal? Like move to Manchester means move to Manchester. But when you're in your life in that moment, you're like, what can it mean that? Like there's no way, because you're so in your own life, you can't see your own life. <laughs> you can't see how the prophetic whirlwind is catching your life up in something. So Matthew 14, this is in the ESV. But immediately Jesus, so this is when 
the disciples, they set out, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And they think he's a ghost, and then they get terrified. So we're picking up on that storyline. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I feel like that's a word to somebody. You've got something in your heart, you're terrified, but it is God, and you need to know not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And I love this little short paraphrase, this story about how he sees Jesus coming and he's surprised by it. But he has this like conviction of like, I want to go to Jesus. I think he's out there. And he has this courage to, to say this desire that just comes out of Peter. Lord, if it's you, command me to come. That's this beautiful expression of a desire for the call of God. Command me, God, and I will come. And Jesus commands him, and he comes. He does the impossible. He sees the miraculous. He experiences the miraculous because he had the courage to answer the call. But even in the courage of answering that call, he falters because it still takes courage. It takes courage to call out. It takes courage to step out. It takes courage to keep walking. It takes courage and faith to continue to walk. And in his moment of weakness, when he starts to sink, as we all have those moments in our call, we start to sink. The strong right arm of the Lord lifts him up and saves him from being drowned in doubt, saves him from being drowned in overwhelm. Isn't that beautiful? When you step out of the boat and you answer God's call and you're living by faith, you'll have moments when you feel you're sinking, but the strong right arm of the Lord immediately there to pick you up so you don't sink in that unbelief. 